You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you're lost and alone and you feel like you need a lift. When the times are tough and your day has gone adrift. You can always press play on Buzz Broadway. Buzz Broadway. So just press play today. Well, 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 welcome back. Okay, I'm not going to like ever do that again. You... <laughs> oh, shit, hold on. My gain is wicked high. I'm glad we're doing this. Uh, yeah, I just, I hate when the, when the audio defibrillators, you know, uh, they try to, you know. I don't know why. I mean, you so know impressive. what they do. You know. No, how I'm they, not even listening to you. You know how they can be. You've recorded through all this, right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, Amanda. Hi, Sam. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. I worked from home today, so I got wow. to... Wow. Normally, you go into the office on Fridays. Well, every other. Oh, okay. So I got to wear leggings all day, which can't complain about. I have worn leggings for a full day, and it's very, very thrilling. When have you worn leggings? Uh, I went to Six Flags once, and I wore leggings at Six Flags. It was very And you haven't worn them since? Uh, no, I don't have them. I don't have any anymore. I don't know what happened. Maybe I'll buy you some for Christmas. They were from Torrid. They were very comfortable. Nice. How are you? How was your day? My day was great. I got brunch with my boyfriend, and then I played with his dog. He's a big golden retriever. We went to the dog park. It was a good, it's a beautiful day here in New York City. It's early fall, so it's a little warm, a little crispy. You know how it is. It's the best season. Speaking of fall, I have a fall cocktail tonight. What are you drinking? I'll tell you about mine in a bit. Okay. I'm drinking wine. Shocker. Oh my God. I'm drinking wine too. I never drink wine, but guess what? What? I made fall sangria because I'm basic. Is it pumpkin? No, it's actually not pumpkin. It's a little red wine, a little apple cider, um, some mulling spices. So you got cinnamon sticks, you got star anise, you got cloves. Uh, and then there's some apples in there and some Grand Marnier. Oh, yum. Because we love orange liqueur. Love it, baby. I should have asked my roommate to make me. She makes me these really good vanilla apple ciders. Vanilla apple ciders? She, like, ma- she heats vanilla apple vodka. cider. Yeah, she heats apple cider, puts vanilla vodka in it, and it puts, surrounds the rim with cinnamon. Cinnamon sugar. Mm. Yeah, it's so good. I wish I liked vodka, but unfortunately, makes my tummy... No, no. I understand. I want to uh, be What time. show are we talking about, Sam? We are talking about... Ooh, what happened to my <laughs> voice? Don't know, but hopefully you can edit that one out. Nah. We are talking about the 20... 20... We are talking about the 2005 jukebox musical of jukebox musicals. I'll get to that later. Rock of Ages. The 25... We are talking about the 25 Rock of Ages. We're just going to start abbreviating years like that. Tell me the first digit and the last digit. I don't want to hear anymore. I don't. Life's too short it's to listen far to the whole thing. Far All too right. short. Right before we kick off our shot, Miss Harrington, why don't we give a little a little talk about these this week's drinking rules? You why tell, don't we fill you, the audience in? You tell the audience, aka me, I have my pad and my pencil ready. All right. Anytime we mention... The word liquor, the word alcohol, any type of spirit, Ooh. beer, wine, whatever it may be, we have to drink. 
even out of context. Take a sip. Like it doesn't have anything to do with. Completely out of context. Mention of liquor. Mention okay. of bourbon. You know. You anything. got it. We can only refer to the character of Drew as American Idol contestant Constantine Maroulis. Who is Constantine Maroulis? Um, he originated the role of Drew. Hello. Oh. <laughs> Constantine, can you say the last name Maroulis. Again? Do you really not know him? You Didn't you research the show? No. I researched. Wow, some, some podcast co-host. Okay, what's the third drink you want? Um, if you want to DM us on Atba's Broadway podcast, we are currently seeking co-host applications. Um, <laughs> you can DM me personally at, at the Sam St. Jean. Uh, so don't DM me. <laughs> Good joke. Right, moving on. Anytime we sing a line from the show, any rock song from the 1980s, we are going to compete in a virtual waterfall. Oh my God. The offender must lead the waterfall. Okay. Sound good? That sounds great. All right. Those are the three rules? Those are the three rules. Okay. We want to take a little shot before we get into this? To kick us uh, off? I think that sounds like a great plan. What are you going to take a shot of? Pam? No, it's... (laughs) Have we told our friends about the shot of Pam yet? We have not told that story. All right. Lights up. (laughs) Lights up. College party. 2014? 14? Let's say 2014 for, for safe measure. That was six years ago. I can't even hear Lights that. up. 2014. It's a college party at a senior's house. Our dear friend, Andrew Kelly, friend of the pod. If you're listening, Andrew, shout out to you. A senior decides to get a little silly and challenge someone to take a shot of Pam. Pam like cooking Pam spray. Pam cooking spray, yes. Fully Pam cooking spray. <laughs> Some freshman who i think listens to the podcast he's not obviously now not a freshman he's much older than a freshman now decides to agree with him they pour they spray pam into shot glasses while the entire party screams take a shot of pam they take a shot of pam and this poor (laughs) 18 year old boy is so disgusted that he spits the pam like a yard sprinkler across the kitchen of people Directly into the face of a senior girl, our dear friend Meg, who gets sprayed in the oh, face yeah. with a mouthful of Pam cooking spray. She dropped to the ground like Kim in Miss Saigon. She just hit the deck. She went down like a ton of bricks, down like the chandelier in Phantom. Um, you have to imagine, though, audience, a crowd full. Like, this is this is a theater party because we're so lame. Oh. So this crowd full is shouting. Take a shot of Pam. Take it was like that is just a phrase that I think will stick with us forever. Oh, anytime I say take a shot, uh, I immediately my immediate desire is that I want to summon to say, to say of take Pam. A shot of Pam. But that being said, yes, I digress. Now it is time for our shot. I'm taking a shot of Grand Marnier. Amanda, what are you taking a shot of? Can you take a shot of Grand Marnier? Of course you can. Technically, you're supposed to sip it, but you can take a shot of yeah, anything. But you, like, add that to cocktails. It's cognac and um, orange liqueur. Yeah. You can take a shot of it. You can take a shot of anything. I maybe wouldn't take a shot of, like, I guess I wouldn't really maybe take a shot of, like, Aperol, but, like, you could. I've taken a shot of Mezcal. Okay. Mezcal, like, you you could take a shot of. I love Mezcal. Anyway, let's toss it back, my dear. All right. Three, two, one. (laughs) 
It is the tail end of the big bad 1980s in Hollywood, and the party has been raging hard. Aquanet, Lycra, Lace, and Liquor flow freely at one of the Sunset Strip's last legendary venues. How Please many times do we have to sip? Once? Just once. Okay. I don't know I what the said, other three words are. <laughs> I, only said, I only said liquor. Oh, Aquanet is hairspray. Mm-hmm. Lycra is a material. Lace is also a material. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Cool, cool. Legendary Venues, a place where sex machine Stacy Jacks takes the stage and scantily clad groupies line up to turn their fantasies into reality. Amidst the madness, aspiring rock star and resident toilet cleaner, American Idol contestant Constantine Maroulis... Longs to take Wait, the stage. Wait, you have to say American Idol contestant? You have to say American Idol contestant. <laughs> okay. American Idol contestant Constantine Maroulis longs to take the stage as the next big thing and longs for a small town girl, Sherry, fresh off the bus from Kansas with stars in her eyes. But the rock and roll fairy tale is about to end when German developers sweep into town with plans to turn the fabled strip into just another capitalist strip mall. Can American Idol contestant Constantine Maroulis, <laughs> Sherry, and the gang save the strip and themselves before it's too late? Only the music of hit bands Styx, Journey, Bon Jovi, Whitesnake, and more hold the answer. That was great. We built this city. Oh, got a drink. Oh, so you're doing it to be a bitch. Cool. Yeah, of course. Okay. It's time for a virtual waterfall. You ready? Okay, yep. You gotta stop when I stop. I understand how waterfalls work. Are you frozen? No. (laughs) You lost. What does that mean? It means you stopped drinking before I did. I know, but what does that mean? What's my consequence? Take another sip. Okay, it's almost gone. Take a shot of Pam. How about that? Mm -mm. Do you (sighs) want to learn about Chris D'Arienzo? Tell me all about him. Is it, it's either D'Arienzo or D'Arienzo? I think it's D'Arienzo or D'Arienzo. Or D'Arienzo. Or Dora the Explorer Arenzo. Maybe it's Chris D'Arienzo. I'm going to say that. I like that better. That's what I That's literally what I said. I know! Tell I me know about him. So. Why does he love jukebox musicals so much? Okay, so like I can't... So Chris D'Arienzo wrote the book. Can't tell you much about him because um, Boy doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. But it's okay. He wrote this. So you figured it out. You may do. Um, so he wrote this. It went from off-Broadway to Broadway, as Sam will probably talk about. Uh, he signed on to write and direct the film. So it was supposed to... What he wanted was, like... You know how La La Land was, like, about... It was, like, an old cinema feel? hmm He wanted Rock of Ages to be like that for the film, the 2012 film. And then he was supposed to direct it, but they were, like here's your budget and they were like we don't trust this guy because he's never directed a film so we don't trust him to use his budget properly so they asked director adam shankman who directed the hairspray film if he would do it and immediately he fired chris Dorenzo. yikes sorry chris the person who like created the show so i think that probably explains why i mean we're gonna get to this later but i think the movie is shit it's so bad. I'm sorry, Adam Shankman. I'm sorry, Adam. Um, I'm not. But Chris Dorenzo was right. Chris Dorenzo made a pretty good musical. Yeah. So the only other thing he's done is directed a film called Barry Monday. Oh. Have you seen it? No. 
I'm <laughs> That's called acting, sweeties. You can that DM me for acting. private lessons. Oh my god. That's all I have. Like I don't know when he was born. That's okay. You know, some people like but to stay talked, mysterious. I read a really cool I read a really cool um article. It was an interview with him and he's like, Yeah, when the show was on Broadway, I like had a an apartment in New York City for a couple months, so like that was cool. Wow. He just sounds very chill. Love that. He was Love that I remember you, reading too, he was really pissed off about the whole movie thing. I would be but too. But his marriage got him through it. Love that. If it wasn't for his marriage, he would have been a alcoholic. Ah, uh, did he say that? Yeah. Okay. Well, if you ever want a cocktail, Chris, come on the pod. <laughs> we'll talk about Barry Mountain. Well, let's talk a little bit about the creation of the show, where it led to. Um, so the original workshop of Rock of Ages actually premiered on my 12th birthday, July 27th, 2005. I was 12 years old. I was like, something is happening. I can feel it in my bones, in my 12-year-old bones. I did know you at this point. Yep. Wild, right? So the show was workshopped actually at a Hollywood club. It was in Los Angeles at a club called uh, at a club called King King. Um, it ran King for a, King King King. Two kings. Two kings. Okay. Two kings. One club. One dream. <laughs> one man. One lord. One faith. Go, Two nunchucks shot. up in the air like Mary Lou Retton and pow behind the back. Fine. Move on. <laughs> So after it ran for that limited run at King King, it moved to the Vanguard Hollywood uh, in January. So about six months later, had a very short second run. And that run was incredibly successful. So they then moved it to Renmar Studios later that May. Uh, and, oh no, I'm sorry, that was not in May. It ran in, it ran in Los Angeles a little bit after that. And then it went to um, the Flamingo in Las Vegas in 2006. There had been, like, buzzings. Awesome like, Chris show. Chris Terenzo had this really brilliant idea of this, like, immersive, you know, we're at a Hollywood club and we're talking about Hollywood clubs in the 1980s. I think it's a really yeah. brilliant idea. And somebody saw it, a Broadway producer saw it and said, this is brilliant, let's bring it to New York. They workshopped the show off-Broadway in October of 2008. So about two years later, the show was still in development. New World Stages on 50th Street in New York. It's great. There's so many shows there. That's currently where... Um, Jersey Boys COVID. is playing. Mm-hmm. Yep, COVID is here in New York. COVID is playing in... History is happening in Manhattan. History has its eyes. Okay. Anyways. So, the show ran for about four months at New World Stages. They brought in a new choreographer. They brought in a music supervisor to sort of soup up all the music, make it feel more like a musical and less kind of like a weird um, performance arty kind of like experiential thing. Yep. And then after it ran at New World Stages, it transferred to Broadway in March 2009, went to the Brooks Atkinson Theater, and officially opened on April 7th of 2009. This is a unique thing, because we used to talk about this a lot when we talked about old Broadway musicals in, like, the 60s and 70s, but Rock of Ages is actually one of the few shows in the 21st century that has moved Broadway theaters. So they were at the Brooks Atkinson for a couple months, and then they moved to the Helen Hayes um, in 2011. So after two years, they shut down for a little while, moved the production to the Helen Hayes, and it ran from 2011 to 2015. So wow. what they were able to do because of the kind of 
immersive nature of the show and the immersive creation is they actually found ways to work famous celebrities from the 1980s into the show. So people like Tommy Kessler from Blondie, people like um, Joel Hokestra from Night Ranger, who's wrote Sister Christian. They were able to bring... Don't laugh at me. You better stop. (laughs) I can see you over there making fun of me for not being able to pronounce names, but you could not do any better. (laughs) Joel... Hoekstra, Joel Augustine Gloop. (laughs) So basically they were able to really work in some fun celebs to keep the show alive, keep it fun. It's a show that really lends itself to being able to participate in stunt casting, kind of like Chicago, where you can bring in a celebrity, have them, you know, rock the house down, draw people in. Um... But yeah, I really love this show. We're going to talk about it more, why we love it so much. I think it's a really great musical. Um, The show closed. It ran for six years, which is like a great Broadway run. It's currently the 29th longest running Broadway show. They're tied with Man of La Mancha. Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm impressed. I am too. Like the little engine that could. Am I right? What do you say we... uh get into the plot. I think that is a great idea, ladies and gentlemen. Without further ado, we would like to introduce you to our dear friend and star of the 10th anniversary national tour of Rock of Ages, John Michael Breen. We open 1987 on the Sunset Strip in beautiful Los Angeles. Our narrator and hype man for the evening, Lonnie Barnett, opens the show, introduces us to none other than the Bourbon Room, which is a bar on the Sunset Strip where much of the action of Rock of Ages takes place. We also meet our protagonist, Drew Boley, who prefers to go by his stage name, uh, Wolfgang Von Colt, LRS. <laughs> His name's Drew Bully, who's a bar back at the Bourbon Room. We also meet the owner of the Bourbon Room, Dennis Dupree. Uh, Lonnie and Dennis are hand in hand, run the place together, do everything together. And uh, it's a huge medley of come on, feel the noise, just like paradise, nothing but a good time. We are all just living our best lives on the Sunset Strip. Ain't nobody worried about nothing. It's the opening number. Then we get to our leading lady, Sherry Christian. Uh, We cut to Paola, Kansas, as she is about to make her way to LA to become an actress and follow her dreams. And uh, who does she run into in the middle of the street after she gets mugged after arriving in LA? 45 seconds, she gets there. Drew Bowley, the leading man. Wouldn't you know it? Wow. So he uh, he throws off the mugger and helps her and brings her to the bourbon room where she gets a job because she's probably gorgeous and has big blonde hair and it's all men, you know, all that bullshit. She gets a job. A love story starts forming and, you know, the audience is, is really happy, revved up to go. <laughs> so then I feel like the first three numbers of Rock of Ages are kind of like the opening of Into the Woods. It's like, we have this plot, we have this plot, and then we have this plot. There you go. 
So mm -hmm. we have the bourbon room, we have our, our uh, leading lovebirds, and then we get to like a huge part of the show, which is uh, the mayor's office, mayor of Los Angeles, and two German developers, Franz and Hertz, Hertz being the father and Franz being his son, who are trying to clean up the Sunset Strip, clean up the life in LA, it's dirty, it's grimy, there's rock and roll, it's gross. They want to make it much more commercial and much more clean and not as fun. And they're offering the mayor a, you know, suitcase full of cash, because that's what you do. <laughs> um, and a cute, a cute little pop-up of this futuristic city, you know, super casual. We also have Regina, who is like a city planner or a city builder or some general, you know, blah, blah, government title, uh, who is very against this uh, redoing of the Sunset Strip. She wants to preserve rock and roll. She wants to preserve the essence of L.A. So that's that pretty much catapults, you know, her her journey in the show. And uh, Franz and Hertz, on top of the Sunset Strip, are also targeting the Bourbon Room. So basically, the Bourbon Room is in jeopardy, and that's what brings all of us here to the Rock of Ages. <laughs> Cutting back to Drew and Sherry, who, you know, are biding their time in the Bourbon Room, thinking nothing is wrong. Um, Drew... You know, Sherry's asking him, like, oh, what do you want to do with your life? And Drew's like, I don't know. And Sherry's like, no, come on, you must know something. And Drew's like, no, I don't know. And <laughs> then out comes I want to rock because, you know, she wants to be an actress. He wants to be a rock star. We so, need an I want song. Yeah, and we need we haven't really had an I want song yet. So we've, you know, we discovered that he wants to rock. LOL surprise. Following that, we cut to Regina as she starts to band together a group of protesters to protest Franz and Hertz uh, damaging the trip and the bourbon room. And then we jump back to the bourbon room where Sherry has started working as a waitress. And uh, we, in this sequence of act one, we learn a little bit more about her home life, which isn't great. She doesn't have a great relationship with her parents. They don't understand why she's moved out there. She tries calling them and telling them about her experience in LA and they basically hang up on her, which prompts a huge, massive, Rude. Musical number. That's a medley of More Than Words and To Be With You and Heaven. And uh, in all of that, Sherry and Drew basically decide to go out on a date together, which is our next song, uh, Waiting for a Girl Like You by Foreigner. Mm. Little, little date night, little little seduction scene, little little intimacy happening, and Drew makes a huge mistake, which he regrets later, which is basically being like, oh, we're just friends, right? Like, I think he says some bullshit, like, oh, I, I forgot I have to go back to work, because, like, things are so awkward, and he doesn't know what to do, and he's like, you're such a great friend. And Sherry's like, oh, friend. Mm. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> and then ways. And then, lol, something I forgot to mention earlier. So, once Dennis and Lonnie learn that the Bourbon Room is in jeopardy of closing, they call Stacy Jacks, who's a huge rock star, and ask Stacy if he will do one more concert with his band Arsenal 
who Arsenal's about to break up and Stacy's gonna go solo, which has caused like rifts through the rock and roll scene. They ask Stacy if he and Arsenal will do one more show at the Bourbon Room, like a farewell show. And he agrees because Dennis has some blackmail bullshit on him involving a baby llama. Stacy rolls into the Bourbon Room singing Wanted Dead or Alive in full musical theater glory. <laughs> Icon. And has an interview with this with this journalist in the Bourbon Room and all the girls are fawning over him and all the boys are fawning over him and it's great. Sherry, included in this group, fawning over him and um, in one of the weaker fawn points in Rock of Ages, I think, just decides to, to fuck him in the bathroom like any good christian girl does you i mean know, why not why not he's like yo you want to do this and she's like yeah i really do we're gonna we're gonna do it to music we're gonna sing i want to know what love is while we do it and i need to take a drink makes sense makes sense so they do that drew kind of sees some of this but not really he's still feeling unsure about the whole date thing and then we get into the concert that Stacy's about to throw. But before we do that, things were weird with Sherry. So Stacy tells Dennis that he wants to kick Sherry out of the club, which then after he starts performing, Dennis has to tell Sherry that like she has to go. But Sherry's like, but Stacy was just telling me that he loved me in this bathroom stall. And it's all so weird. <laughs> that whole massive sequence ends, which is a medley of Come On, Feel the Noise and We're Not Gonna Take It and a bunch of reprises. It's a really killer arrangement. Um, Sherry gets, not Sherry, Stacy gets punched out. Sherry gets kicked out. Mm. Drew saves the day by jumping on stage after Sherry, oh my God, after Stacy gets punched and sings and everybody's like, oh, that guy can really sing. Wow, oh my God, this is gonna be a plot point in act two. And we're like, whoa, what's gonna happen? In our production of the 10th anniversary tour, the next song before the end of Act 1 was in Act 2, but in the normal version, it's in Act 1. We follow Sherry as she's like walking on the street alone, being fired, and of course it's raining because everything's dramatic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is uh, Hard in My Heart and Shadows of the Night. She runs into the Venus Club, which is a strip club, and meets Justice, who owns the club, who is basically like, Oh, you're a young girl who has nothing to do and nowhere to go and no job. Come be a stripper for me, because I got you, and I'm going to take care of you. And Sherry's like, yeah, I totally will do that. So that happens, and then we get to Here I Go Again, which is basically every character being like, what the fuck is going to happen? What am I doing? Oh my god. And it's great. And Act 1. So we open with the final countdown, and... Um, demo has started on the Sunset Strip, and everything is crazy. So everything is crazy, everything is awful. The bourbon room is like seconds away from being destroyed. And um, the the battle lines are drawn. You know, Franz and Hertz versus everybody else. We cut to the Venus Club where Sherry has started working as a stripper and is kind of learning her way on the pole. So actually, LOL, something else I forgot. At the end of act one, Drew also quits the bourbon room because he decide, he meets he meets Keith, who is a like music producer, who's like, you're so talented, I'm gonna sign you, come work for me, and Drew doesn't know any better, so he's like, okay, I will. Um, but Keith is putting him in a boy band group, which we'll get into a little bit later. Time kind of passes, and they're both doing their own thing, and then, of course, boy runs into girl in the middle of 
the same street in this huge city. Of course. And Drew's like, oh my God, hi. And Sherry's like, whoa, Drew. And he's like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm just working. And she's like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm making music. Mm -hmm. And they kind of lie to each other about their situations. And then in the same scene, they're like, nope. I'm a stripper, and nope, I am not making any strides in this boy band group, and I hate my life. Um, and then they sing High Enough, which is this huge, epic, stratospheric duet. We go back to the Venus Club, where Sherry has kind of become one of the like top strippers. And uh, Stacy comes crawling back to her, kind of not knowing it's her, but then they're both kind of in this private booth together and Justice is like, Sherry, you, you gotta take this dance. And Sherry's like, no, I'm not doing it for him. And Justice is like, but you know, man's got coin, so. Coin. <laughs> Up to you, babe. You're gonna do it. Um, so they sing, hate myself for loving you and heat of the moment together, which is such a sick mashup. Unreal. At the end of which Drew runs in, kind of pursuing Sherry after that high enough moment, sees her dancing for Stacy. And then Sherry sees Drew seeing that and is like, oh shit. And then everything is uncomfortable. And then Stacy calls her Rachel and she's like, fuck you asshole, punches him out, runs after Drew who has fled the scene. So there's hope for our love story. So another kind of minor subplot that's not really important to anything other than this moment that's about to happen. Um, Franz and Regina have kind of fallen for each other, except the whole time you're led to believe that Franz is gay because he's just very flamboyant and very German, but he is in love with Regina, which his dad, Hurt, doesn't really understand at all. And Hertz is very verbally abusive to his son and is awful. And this is a moment where all those tensions of everything kind of come to fruition. And Franz and Regina sing, hit me with your best shot to Hertz. And then we go to the bourbon room where Dennis and Lonnie have been packing everything up, ready to leave the bourbon behind and they sing Can't Fight This Feeling together because they've spent all this time and all these years and all these memories together and neither of them are really ready to let them go. That's that. And then we get to Every Rose Has Its Thorn, which is the only time all nine principals are on stage together. They all kind of sing this song as a unit, each in their own moment of transition. Franz and Hertz, having been sort of successful in destroying the Sunset Strip, are heading back home, back to other projects, but Hertz is kind of devastated over what happened to his son. Regina is feeling lost and confused, having fought all this way for the strip and not being successful. Dennis and Lonnie don't know where to go. Drew and Sherry are both feeling kind of lost in their new careers, so everybody's lost. It's two thirds of the way through act two, which is just where every character should be. Drew decides, after having a very lovely scene with Lonnie, where Lonnie being the narrator of the evening basically is like, dude, what are you doing? I'm gonna be I'm gonna be your gay best friend now. What 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 are you doing? There you go. So uh, Lonnie informs Drew that Sherry is on the midnight train, the midnight train, to wherever, Kansas, mm. somewhere, she's going away, and Drew runs off after her. Hertz reconciles with Regina in an effort to maybe reconcile with his son. Um, he also prevents Regina from lighting herself on fire in protest of everything, which our production cut, but that's like a very serious moment. <laughs> in, 
Yeah, it's wild. Act two gets wild. Drew sings, oh, Sherry, of course, running after Sherry. He gets to her in time. They sing, the search is over. They commit their love to each other. It's all great and wonderful. And then we all bring it home with Don't Stop Believing. And Lonnie kind of catches us up to speed on what everybody has been doing. Dennis died. Lonnie runs the bourbon room. Sherry and Drew have kids. Franz isn't gay. It's just a happy end. And that is Rock of Ages. To our Buzz Broadway listeners, elections are always important, whether they be national, statewide, or local. But your participation in the 2020 presidential election is vital. Our nation's democracy has too long served only a privileged few, and now it is time to use our platform to call upon the leaders of our country to demand change. The best chance we have at electing future officials who will do their part to make us a better nation is to show up at the polls. That's where Vote 411 comes in. Launched by the League of Women Voters Education Fund, Vote411.org is a one-stop shop for election-related material. It provides nonpartisan information to the public with both general and state-specific information on all aspects of the election process. Just visit vote411.org, click on the menu, and type in your address. You'll then find helpful details like absentee ballot information, early voting options, ID requirements, and voter qualifications. A common gerrymandering tactic is confusing and contradictory voter information, but Vote411 makes it clear and concise to get to the polls. Please exercise your right to vote. It only serves us right when it serves us all. John Michael bringing to the Buzz Broadway podcast. We're so happy to have you. Woo! Yeah. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, how are you doing? Where are you in these quarantine times? I fled New York City on a horse <laughs> and buggy in <laughs> the middle of March. Um, and I've been safe and sound in New Hampshire since about then. Um, <sighs> living with my parents and my boyfriend and his mom and kind of just bouncing all over the place. Love that. New Hampshire's a pretty good place to be right now. For sure. And we are so excited to be talking to you about Rock of Ages. You are the star of the 10th anniversary national tour as Lonnie Barnett. Good old Lonnie. Wow, Um, we love him so much. Before we get into your experience with this, I think Sam needs to tell us the drinking rules. Because I feel like when you tell us about your tour, you're going to break some rules. (laughs) So we love to play this little drinking game. We've got three rules tonight. Number one, we are only allowed to refer to the character of Drew as verbatim American Idol contestant Constantine Maroulis. (laughs) So anytime we mention Drew, just omit that word, omit the name Drew, and sub it with American Idol contestant Constantine Maroulis. I'm literally writing that down. You have I to. had to write it down. I tried to note everything. Simply week. must. Rule number two: any mention of liquor, that means a spirit, the word liquor, the word alcohol. Any mention bourbon maybe might be a popular one. Any mention of liquor, you must take a sip. 
And the final drinking rule is that if we sing any line from the show or any classic 80s rock song, we're going to compete in a virtual waterfall. Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) If you are the offender, you must start drinking and drink for as long as you possibly can. And everybody else must drink until you finish. We'll come up with the order kind of as we go. I was just going to say. We'll kind of, yeah, just kind of per, you know, per event. We could do a little practice run right now. That's a great idea. Let's do it. All right. Can you take me high enough? All right. Great. I sang, uh uh-oh, guess we got to do a virtual waterfall. Uh Uh-oh. I don't know what order you are all in, but I'm going to start. And then let's go to Amanda. And then let's go to John Michael. Great. Does that sound good? All right. Bottoms up, everyone. Wow. We did it. How does it all feel? Great rehearsal, everyone. I have a couple Mm -hmm. notes. They're mostly for Amanda. I'm going to kill you. So those are three drinking rules. We've got American Idol contestant Constantine Maroulis. We've got any mention of liquor and we've got the sing-along. Sound good? I'm glad we can say the name Lonnie. I think it's, I I wanted to put it safe. You know what I mean? Me too, Amanda. Me too. That would make it really difficult. It would make it very difficult. All right. So let me just start off by saying, JM, I, because you and I have, have we met before? I don't believe so. Okay. Nice to meet you. I stalked the fuck out of you before um, we got here today. I saw you followed me on Instagram. Yeah, sure did. <laughs> but I didn't friend you on Facebook because that was just like a, a little too much. Even though I'm friends with your boyfriend. But it's fine. Oh. But I could not find many videos of you playing Lonnie. And I was very bummed. Yeah. Um, I wish that there were more videos out there too, Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about kind of what the audition process for the 10th anniversary tour was like, as well as kind of what the show, the show was like on the road, just kind of give us the, the, the spark notes of your time with Rock of Ages. The rundown. Yeah, please. Sure. So, um, I auditioned for the tour. This must've been spring 2018. Um, I believe it was March. So it was like the middle of audition season. So it was the middle of audition season and it had been really brutal. Um, I'm a non-union actor, so I'm not actor's equity. And that means that we go to a lot of open calls or try to get seen in union calls. Um, but, you know, that's a whole other messy wormhole of information. But this was an open call for Rock of Ages for the tour. And I remember it was snowing that morning. Um, and I was laying in bed in my apartment in Brooklyn and I was like, I don't want to go. I just, no part of me wants to get up, wants to put all the drag on, Mm. do my hair, do everything, get on a train, go to the, to Pearl studios and wait in line and try to get seen. But I found somewhere within me, the, the courage to just (laughs) do it and get up. And, um, I probably got there, I think. I think the call started at 10 and I walked in like at 9.59. Iconic. Um, which was great only because it was snowing. So there weren't a ton of people there, but mm. there were sure a lot of people there. Um, so I put my name on the list, saw a bunch of my friends, saw people I knew. Um, and I think I ended up being like 80 something or 90 something. So I had time to kill, um, which was great because the song that I sang, I hadn't sung in maybe like three years. <laughs> Amazing. So, we love it. We love to see it. I rented a studio for like $15 and warmed up for seven minutes, which basically just consisted of screaming. Um, I was singing Take On Me by Aha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or Aha, however you say it. Um, 
so I probably had to wait maybe an hour and a half or two hours and then I made it into the room I just felt like there's this really specific energy when everything kind of aligns in an audition room and like you know you go to so many auditions as an actor and people not people but like you just especially if you're a non-union actor like you just get the semblance that you're there as like a formality or a protocol that people have to follow and they're not actually watching you. I felt like I was actually being watched and my time was valued and that made a huge difference. I love that. I got a callback after that appointment and I think they had me prepare packets of material for Lonnie and Stacy Jacks. Mm-hmm. So I went back in like a week or so later and did a little bit of Lonnie, did a little with Stacy, sang Take On Me Again. And then, great, thank you so much. I left, got a dance call back a week or so later, which was super fun because it was basically all like the character actor men types. So it was like potential Lonnie's and Stacey's and and, uh, American Idol contestant, Constantine Maroulis's. (laughs) Brilliant. Very well done. um, Very well done. You know, some of whom like couldn't do a grapevine so like that was a great dance call to be in because i was like i got this i can fist bump and grapevine all day long man <laughs> it was literally to don't stop believing which also just made everything better that's yeah, the great alley of rock of ages of course and then i think after that a week or so later i had my final callback and before my final callback they also threw in uh american idol contestant constantine maroulis's role so I had three characters to prep for my final callback. Wow. And that day I literally did the entire Lonnie packet, which consisted of, I think, three sides and two songs. So yeah, so definitely a lot of material prepare to prepare. Um, so I did the whole Lonnie packet. I did probably half of Stacy, And then I ended my final callback singing High Enough, which is American Idol contestant uh, Constantine Marillis's <laughs> Like in a in a show full of high rock tenor material, this is the most absurdly oh high. God. He sings the whole bridge by himself, it's which just wild. goes into the stratosphere. Um, so that was the last thing I did, and I barely had anything left in my tank. I was like, <laughs> like <laughs> running on empty. Um, and I left, and I felt great, but I also was thinking in the back of my head, I was like, they're not going to know what to do with me. I'm, you know, maybe I'll get ensemble, maybe I'll get a cover, but juggling so many roles and I felt good in all of their shoes. Lonnie always felt best, but um, Mm. I kept picturing Mitch Jarvis who originated the role on Broadway a little bit older, more of a dad bod with a mustache, like like a Jack Black type. Like I I was like, I don't know. Like I just don't feel like that's what they're going to go with. The next morning I got a call from the casting office with the offer to play Lonnie. And I, I had woken up. Um, I don't think I had anything to do that day. And I was just laying in bed and my phone rang and I saw that it was their office. And I was like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I picked it up like, hello. And one of the casting assistants just let me know that I was going to get an offer later that day. And I screamed. Oh. I called my parents. I called my boyfriend, John, and I went back to bed. <laughs> And I think went back to sleep because I was like, that's it. I'm canceled. Everything is done. I'm not leaving my apartment. Um, and then the road was amazing and the rehearsal process was amazing. And um, I, I felt welcomed the entire time. 
they were looking for something different for the character of Lonnie. And it just so happened that that's something was me, which was really humbling. And I'm grateful for every day. Um, I got to walk in there and just play and explore and be goofy and be silly and make mistakes. And um, our whole cast and crew were, were welcome to do that. We are the first kind of the only major production of the show to take a different um, route with the show. It's a whole different design, um, whole different direction. So it was super fun and super fans of the show were so gracious and welcoming to us. Um, And the show definitely has super fans. It's It's a cult musical. Um, I pulled some stats that our stage manager and company manager shared with us toward the end of tour. work. Uh, we traveled over 38,600 miles. We performed for over 220,000 audience members. We took our show to 100 cities in 34 states and eight Canadian provinces. I wish I was back in Canada right now. It's a lovely country. Um, our largest audience was in Ontario, uh, 3,257 people. Oh, so a, a rock show. Oh, a yeah. legit rock show. For sure. Um, and our smallest was, drumroll please, um, 197 people wow. in the middle of Wyoming. That's our sold out high school auditorium. <laughs> yeah. That's my Amanda's sold out Heber Theater in Goffstown, New Hampshire. Amanda did not get to see the 10th anniversary, but she did get to see a small production of it at a regional theater in New Hampshire where I played Lonnie. And we, did you also get to see it, JM? I did. I sure did. I don't know. I, I know which two performances Amanda came to see. I don't know when you came to see us, but something about the area of New Hampshire that we were in and the type of people that were in our audience was wild. Bonkers. We performed pretty different versions of the show. Yours was a big, you know, in major theater kind of, you know, sparkly production. Ours was a little bit more like the... We talked earlier in tonight's episode about the Chris Dorenzo, like original Los Angeles trials of the show where it was like in an LA club. And I think that the, you know, small sort of three quarter thrust black box that we were in, in New Hampshire sort of replicated that we had like liquor that was being served on stage for audience members. Oh, so good. And the directors of this production were very much ready to create like a very down and dirty kind of, um, alternative production of the show. I remember seeing yours and being blown away by the spectacle of it. Some of the changes to it, I also I thought were really great. You got it was pour some sugar on me, right? No, our no, big change. It? I'm obsessed with that change, though. So we should talk about that later. But our big change for our tour was um, the penultimate number in Act One is a medley of "Harden My Heart," "Shadows of the Night." after the character Sherry is kicked out of the bourbon room for reasons we'll get into later that I'll probably, you know, explain bourbon. To Oh, no. I'm not here to play games, boys. Um, <laughs> but we're playing a game. And she sings Hard My Heart as she's like walking the streets looking for a new gig and she meets Justice and, you know, that all happens. We moved that to... Uh, the second number in act two. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's so right. there were, there's this great moment in almost at the end of act one where Lonnie breaks the fourth wall as he does so often. Mm. And it's like, Oh my God, we're, we're here at the end of act one. How the hell did that happen? 
And there were people who knew and loved the show who would yell back at me, no, we're not. Where's, where, where's heart in my heart? And a couple times when we had a really playful audience, I would be like, it's in act two. <laughs> it's going to be okay. Don't you worry about it. Isn't that so wild though? Like you would think in a show as major and in a tour so monumental as your production that like little things like that wouldn't happen. But you, when the show is so engaging for people, your job as like a very interactive narrator is to wrangle those people. I had Truly. to shut the, there was literally a night in this small, it was like a 200 seat black box. Theater. I was there. Were you there? Yep. There were people that were singing and interacting with us so loudly and adamantly throughout scenes because they're there for the numbers. You know what I mean? They're not there to watch the plot unfold. They're there to see the songs that they love get performed, which is, I think, the heart and soul of the show, obviously. But there were times, like Amanda saw, where I had to literally stop the show and be like, we love that you're having a great time, but we need to tell the story of these two lovebirds. Like, because it just gets, it, it riles people up so much for them to hear this music that they love. For sure. That and the mounts of alcohol. Oh, oh yeah. This theater that we're talking about Drink serves- as well, because um, I just said that. This, oh, yes, theater that, we're, that we serve, huh, this theater that we're talking about serves some very, very stiff drinks. Oh yeah. They sure do. All right, let's talk about mm, what's your favorite part. One of my favorite segments <laughs> of the show. What's your favorite part? John what Michael, we would like you part? to kick off this category. What are you, some of your favorite parts of Rock of Ages? Oh, do I have some favorite parts? I'm ready to hear them. So I would be remiss if I didn't mention the entire opening because the character of Lonnie Barnett really gets to set the bar for what's to come the rest of the evening. Um, our 10th anniversary production made made him kind of even more involved than he is normally. Um, well, you had about 10 minutes of pre-show before the musical began. Is that right? I did. So oh, our yeah. director, Martha. I had a little bit of pre-show, but not a ton. I did a shot and then I went into the bathroom. I love that. <laughs> I wish I could have taken a shot. Some nights. Not a real shot. It was a fake shot. I did sometimes on occasion engage a little bit off stage, but I would do I would walk on stage for like a heavy fake shot down it, the audience would laugh, and then I would walk into the on stage bathroom stall and I would camp out there for about ten minutes before the show started. Obsessed. Um so our director, Martha Banta, and our um Scenic designer David Gallo, who won the Tony for designing Grousey Chaperone, both of them brilliant. What an iconic set design. Um, we kind of put everything, not kind of, we did, put everything inside of road boxes. So the whole set looked like one massive touring rock and roll show. And then as the opening happened and as the show progressed, set pieces literally came out of all these road boxes. And the set was kind of like this giant pop-up book wow. almost. Um, the backdrop of LA literally dropped down as a massive kabuki. Like it was so killer. They started our tech rehearsal with all of us in the audience first day and they did the kabuki drop on like a three, two, one. So and all of us out. the hell out. It was epic. Um, so yeah, I would typically get ready, like ready to go out on stage at five minutes of places and I was kind of disguised with like a roadie. I had a jacket over my costume and a hat. And they had this massive soundboard for me because Lonnie is a self-prescribed sound god. 
Um, I don't actually think he knows what he's doing at all, but I had this huge light up soundboard that I like as this omnipresent narrator, God figure, like got to play with the whole show and ride on. Um, so I would tinker with that. I would say hi to some of the crew. I would just kind of walk around and get things ready. And then our, uh, for those of you who know the soundtrack or know the show, the band has this killer opening Mm -hmm. uh, sequence of music before the vocal begins and our guitarist, there was a big vertical road box. Our guitarist was hidden in the road box and the case lifted up into the flies to reveal him. Oh my God. Came out of the road box and he started his guitar solo there. And the audience is just like flipped their shit. It was was wild. The audience knows what they're in for. They're like, Oh, and then this is what I'm about to watch. Yes. I had a set number of counts and I had to set my soundboard in the right place, say hi to Zach, our guitarist, open some curtains for the rest of the band and run up a two level staircase and hit dead center stage, like on the downbeat to start the song. And like the first time I did that in tech, I was, our, our director pulled me to the front of the stage and she was like, so I think we're ready to, to um, um, try this. Should we, should we just go for it? And I was like, let's just, let's see what happens. Maybe, maybe it'll be great. Maybe it won't. Um, but it worked. And yeah, the whole opening is a great medley. The arrangements by Ethan Pop for the show are just so ridiculously fun to sing, to dance to, to listen to. Um, and it sets the whole show up and it's just super fun. So that's probably number one. And then number two would be for me, the act one finale. Here I go mm-hmm. again. Cause that I think more than any other song for whatever reason, just like gets in the audience's soul and mm-hmm. people, whether they have to pee or whether they love the song or whether they're just tired of sitting for an hour they just like get up and dance and throw horns up in the air. And it's just one big party um, and a great arrangement of that song as well. I got to wear cheetah print tight jeans and a blue suede uh, like smoking jacket for that number complete with um, these underpants, fingerless gloves. They were fingerless Ooh. gloves that looked like underpant, like underwear, like white tidy whiteies. So that just felt like the right level of like grotesqueness. Yes. I think I had a shirt that said like, show me your boobies or something like on it. Something about boobies on my shirt. Well, when I played Lonnie. Yeah, tell us about, (laughs) yeah. This podcast is actually now called Three Lonnies. Three Lonnies and a baby. Not to be confused with Chekhov's Three Sisters. It's a little different. Is that Chekhov? It's not Chekhov. Who wrote Three Sisters? Oh, isn't it? Anton Chekhov himself. Okay, Okay. I'm better at theater history than I think I am. All right. What else do you got, Jay? Yeah. What are what are some of your other faves? So my third my third top three would be um, there's a sequence in Act Two that I forget exactly what we called it on the road. We had like a funny name. Like if there's a musical with a bunch of ballads in a row, like people will call that Ballad Alley. Mm. So I forget what we called this, but it's this like trio of epic duets between characters in Act Two that consists of a mashup of hate myself for loving you and heat of the moment between Sherry and Stacy uh, hit me with your best shot for friends and Regina, and then can't fight this feeling for Lonnie and Dennis. 
And that that sequence for those characters and in the show is just so well put together and well orchestrated. And it it you can feel the audience just falling further in love with all those characters every single show. Um, so that was always like just a fun part of the show to do. And, you know, after you do hundreds of shows, like people stop watching from the wings and people have stuff to do and people just want to like go back to their dressing room. But I would say those three numbers, we always had someone from the cast watching just because Oh, that's like, so nice. we're a really supportive bunch. And especially when you have swings or understudies go on, like everybody is like jam packed with the stage managers, like watching wherever they can. Um, so yeah, those are, I think my three favorite moments from the show, but honestly I could have 25 or 30 favorite moments. <laughs> of the show is just such a blast. I I have a similar one. Nope, I don't. Well, <laughs> speaking Perfect. of those, one of my favorite parts is I can't fight this feeling. Just the song. Just that arc in your relationships. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I love it so much. People also That's love a- that song. Yes. The I piano chords start. No, people in general, I mean. Oh, Audience yeah. members, like when those co- piano chords start, they think yeah. they know, they're like, oh, I think I know what this is going to be. And then Lonnie starts singing. I can't fight this feeling any longer. Let's go, everyone. Toss it back. What's our Oh, sorry. We're going to go Amanda, John Michael. Sorry, Sam, John Michael, Amanda. Okay. I'm Here we go. Three, two, one. If I burp, I apologize profusely. Lay it on us. It's bound to happen. Can't stop. I can't fight this feeling. Sung by Finn from Glee. That's how I know it. I don't know about that. My other, and then I only have really one other favorite part is the very end of the show. Because at least where... Sam did Rock of Ages. They like brought people onto the stage at the end sometimes. And this is the second time I'd seen it. So I was like, I'm in the cast. So <laughs> I am a featured ensemble. Ensemble. Featured ensemble. I am a featured dancer. Here she had rehearsed tonight. the choreo. She was ready to go. I was ready. I like to think I absolutely thought of myself as a member of that cast. Well, it really, even though it's a pre-existing song, it really is probably one of the greatest finales of a Broadway show. It's so It's so hard-hitting. There is not a single person who doesn't love the song. And it hits hard. The arrangement, Ethan Pop, right? Is that his name? Mm -hmm. His arrangement, too. The harmonies, the build. Like, it just, he really does it. Yeah. It was the first song we learned as a cast. Iconic. Day one. Sick. Iconic. Those are my two favorites, Sam. What are your favorite movies? I have others that people have mentioned, so I'm going to skip over those and just go to the ones that I think are really special. Sherry heading to Los Angeles. The build in Sister Christian. That bass line. Jim, 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 Jim. Just really sends me to another place. <laughs> I'm really here for it. Um, uh Wait. The heaven theme, heaven, the uh, the rock song, heaven breaking through heaven. Um, more oh, than words. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Heaven kind of breaking through that medley. Up, oh, John Michael heaven. sang. You know what that means? All right, what's, what's our order, Jam? Okay, ready. Uh, me, Amanda, Sam, ready. Okay. Go. I don't know if you ever felt as much of a rock star as I did, Jam, wearing those fingerless gloves with the blue suede. But when Lonnie comes out for uh, Here I Go Again, uh, and I know what it means to walk down the lonely street of dreams, that was always great for me. I think the vocal, that's also, you have a higher vocal range than I do, but we have, it's like we're pretty close to each other. 
that sits really nicely in my voice. So I always felt really great about that part. Uh, at the end of, or like midway through, here I go again. Mm-hmm. I always felt like a rock star during that point. Um, high enough, one of my favorite parts. We also did a really, <laughs> we flew Sherry in our production for virtually no reason. We just flew thought her. Be, yeah, we flew her like she flew. So my t- last two favorite parts are all of "Can't Fight This Feeling." It's a great moment for Alani. I also wanted to say that in my production, we spoofed Ghost. We had this really old 1980s looking like child's clay wheel. (laughs) And live clay was brought on stage every night. And I would be Demi Moore. And the actor who played Dennis would be Patrick Swayze. And he would come up behind me. He was like a 6'4 veteran. He was like 20, 24 years old. And he would put his big arms around me and we would spoof Ghost and it was a wonderful moment. The audience loved it. And then finally, don't stop believing. I know we've all talked about it, but it is just an iconic moment. My production had a balloon drop, a confetti drop. We had an inflatable dinosaur take the stage. We had a gorilla take the stage. We just had big, giant, silly, like 80s music video things that happened throughout the show. And they all kind of came to a climax at the very end. Lots of things going on. A toilet paper, a leaf blower at one point that sprayed the audience. That was a blast. All they took a lot. Things. They took a lot from Glee. What does that mean? Are you eating French fries? Yeah, I'm hungry. You're a psychopath. <laughs> You're a psychopath. How does that make me a psychopath? All right. We have spent quite a bit of time talking about our favorite parts. I believe it is time to nominate our each individual recipients for the iconic... Edwina Spoonapple Acting Award. Uh, so, Amanda, I'd like you to go first. Who wins the Edwina Spoonapple Acting Award for you? I'm not going to lie to you. I have no one. That's okay. This is not your favorite show. It's a great show. I love it. I would see it drunk over and over again. But I brought my mom. But I've she only seen... I only saw your production. I saw it twice. I saw the movie. I tried to look up as much as I could about the show, like on videos and stuff, but there just wasn't enough for me to like truly nominate someone for this, like really deserving award. That's not your fave. I have somebody for the others though, so. Love to hear it. All right. John Michael, tell us a little bit about who is the recipient of your Edwina Spoonopal acting award. I have to give such a huge shout out to, to Mitchell Jarvis who originated Lonnie and I truly believe was deserving of a Tony nomination and did not get one. He really was. His performance in this show is wild. The Tony performance with him and Liza. Yes. Unbelievable. He embodies what rock of ages is and he's done it all over the world. Vegas, I think LA, the tour, New York, like it's, yeah. it brought him everywhere. I got to see him do it at the recent revival at New World Stages, which oh, was wow. such a great. How uh, was it for him like 10 years later? He was doing this really spectacular, like also meta theatrical, like I know you know that I know what this is. Yeah. We're going to do this, but we're also like going to. I'm Lonnie Barnett playing Mitch Jarvis, playing Lonnie Barnett, playing the yes. narrator of the show. Like it was just. He was making of, he was making it fun of like all Pippin. the original jokes. It sounds like Pippin. Mommy played the leading player. 
I'm mad yeah. at you. For sure. My first is Amy Spanger. I'll make it quick. Her vocals are unbelievable. She is the queen of the 80s jukebox musical. She plays. She deserves so much more work. What? Sherry. She Original plays. Sherry. Sherry. Amy Spanger? Some of us don't know. You should know. I don't have all the thousands of cast lists of this damn show in front of me. I'm just going to take a drink. <laughs> That's normally what our guests do when we start fighting. My second is Andrew Burton Kelly. He's a friend of the pod. He yeah. understudied Drew at the theater where I did this show. I was also nominating him. He is a phenomenal actor. He covered Drew. Our Drew was sick with a horrible stomach bug during tech. And Andrew Burton Kelly performed the entire role of Drew for our tech rehearsals. You said Drew like three times, and I'm pretty sure Drew's name is American oh, no, to... and Constantine Morul. So I'm going to take three steps, okay? True, true. Great. Oh, I don't need to drink. They're going to be loud steps. And f- do you want us to take us to our next category, Amanda? Okay. Well, I was just going to say, um, I was going to nominate Andrew as well, but not for that role, for his ensemble track, because it's probably one of the greatest acting I've ever seen. He did have a pretty stellar ensemble track, and he's done the show twice. Yeah. I remember, though, when you did it with him, he played a woman at some point and did this really great hip bop. Like, a, I can't. It's hard to do it on a podcast. Why did he play a woman? I don't know, but he did this little hip thing. I'll text him. And I was like, you're amazing. I'm proud of you and your career. Our next category is our Climb Every Mountain Award. Whose peak is Rock of Ages thus far in their career? Jam, I would like to go first. Sam, why don't we start with you? For me, the thing that reached its peak during Rock of Ages is jukebox musicals. I think that Rock of Ages is questionably the best jukebox musical that exists. I think they find perfect points for all of their songs. There's maybe one other that's a close second, and I would say that's Disaster, which is created by Seth Rudetsky. I think that's a brilliant geographic musical, but it didn't do as well as Rock of Ages, so that's, I think, why it takes number two. But I think it's brilliant. It's self-referential. It still makes a good story, good plot, great music. That's my that's my climax. It's so weird. I guess I'm a better co-host because mine was John Michael Breen, who um, played Lonnie on the 10th anniversary. Four. I just feel like, okay, so I've seen you in other stuff. I've seen you in a bunch of stuff at that theater that is in New Hampshire. And you were so great. And this is like, this is like where you're at, but like, it's just going to go up from there once this pandemic is over. Sam, I did this. We did the same thing last week for you and Charlie. You're a national tour. You're a oh, national did. You're right. tourist. So we I'm did. a national drinker and I'm here to support <laughs> you. Amen. All right, Jam, what's yours? So I had written down um, Mitch Jarvis, but we've talked about him a, a great deal. And as just we've been talking about the show, I actually think that I would give the Climb Over Mountain Award to Ethan Pop and Chris Dorenzo because this oh. Chris Dorenzo was the book writer mm-hmm. and Ethan Pop did all the arrangements for, for the music. And I this was kind of the little show that could. Nobody thought it was going to be successful on Broadway. Everybody thought it was going to be a total failure. And it played. Literally, took the words out of my mouth. I said those exact, not even kidding, those exact words to Amanda in the first half of the episode. Yes. Like. It played like five, six, maybe seven years on Broadway. It played Vegas. It's toured the world. It just opened a wildly successful immersive production in Hollywood right before COVID ruined everything. So like it has had such an incredible life and literally no one thought it was going to work. 
So. And like, I don't think we mentioned this. It was nominated for five Tonys. Five Tonys. Like this jukebox musical. Yeah. So shout out to those guys for just yeah. building it. Ethan, and- Chris, if you're listening, thanks. Thanks. Okay. In all realness, it's been so great to have you on this podcast. Like what a treat. You're, you're very real and professional and I feel inferior. <laughs> That's all I have to say to this podcast. Well, thank you guys. I'm honored to have been a guest. Where a- can the listeners of our podcast find you online, John Michael? They can find me on Instagram and Twitter at who is Mr. Breen. Mr. is M R. And that's B R E E N, Breen. Yes, and I like go to your green today. You are a registered voter, and I'm just very grateful to hear that. Well, here's the tea I am registered in New York, but I am changing my registration to New Hampshire because let me tell our voters something. In the last election, 2016, uh, Hillary Clinton won by less than 1%. So my Democratic ass in New York is voting in New Hampshire. No, in New Hampshire. That's what I meant to say. I meant to say New Hampshire. Oh. Yes. Our vote in New Hampshire versus New York definitely carry more in New Hampshire. So for all our New Hampshire followers, please vote in New Hampshire. I am registering to vote in New Hampshire for this presidential election. Icon. But normally I'd be voting in New York for sure. Voting queen, icon, John Michael Breen. (laughs) Agreed. Get out there and vote, everybody important thanks guys for listening to rock of ages if you've never heard of this show go check it out please the movie sucks don't watch it um but listen to the musical fun fact the producer of the movie if he meets anybody who's seen it who paid if he finds out they paid to see it in the movie theater he refunds them for their ticket price shut well i will be on the lookout for him because i did in fact see it in the movie theaters i will also ask the same from alec baldwin if i ever see him on the street I, Absolutely. I rented it for $4 today, so what do I get back? <laughs> you can get your $4 back. I'm contacting him. Everybody say bye. Bye. Thanks, JM. Thank you both, lovebird. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. For more information on how to support our podcast, visit bpn.fm slash buzzbroadway or on Instagram at buzzbroadwaypodcast. Buzz Broadway is conceived and hosted by Amanda Harrington and Sam St. Jean with editing by Amanda Harrington. Original music by Carl Pariso with arrangements by Patrick Doro. This is a Broadway Podcast Network production. As always, thank you to our sponsors, to BPN, and to our listeners. See you next time. Buzz Broadway. Buzz Broadway. So just press play today. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.